does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Big 9 o'clock hour coming here on the Wake Up Call. Tom Crean going to join us. Bruce Weber going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll get you ready, obviously, for the matchup tonight between the Hoosiers and the Boilermakers. We'll uh, we'll be talking about that a lot today. We'll get to some NFL talk here in just a second. You know, we are talking during the break, uh, and you guys helped me here because you are veterans uh, in this, but our friends over uh, at WIBC, you can also check out their traffic on Twitter at WIBC Traffic. I'm looking at it right now uh, out in Brownsburg what eastbound 74 right now is closed between it looks like 267 and Green Street that's about where you were was it not Green Mark? Street is literally my exit that's where you fishtailed that's where I fishtailed yes <laughs> okay. there's black ice for sure so there's I've been to the tequila sunrise over there Ooh, Mark. That's there you stop. go that is a solid stop books and brews as well uh, yes te- right in that te- shopping center tequila is one of those for me it's ooh. Ooh, I'll stick to I'll stick to my bourbon and my beer. Could That's be a dark what, that, night that, that, if you're going I'll tequila. I'll stick to my bourbon. I'll stick to my beer. Know what lane uh, you need to stay in? <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I-65 downtown crash northbound 65 between Meridian and West Street uh, as well. Left lane block there. Now that was like 30 minutes ago. So again, IBC is completely uh, is going to have you covered, but delays. You know, leave early, slow and steady, as Mark would say. Yeah, it's nasty out I, there again, today. Leave a little bit earlier for uh, for me, and I'm speaking from someone that lives, you know, you know, kind of like Butler, Broad Ripple area. Um, the commute wasn't too bad. It was a little slicker than I expected, though, and a little bit longer. And certainly, if school delays any of that uh, could involve your morning routine, check that out because certainly the Donut Counties, pretty much everybody seems like is under some sort of delay, and even a few Indianapolis schools, not all of them by any means. But certainly a few there. So I know Ashley chimed in here from the Decatur area coming up to Butler. She mentioned a little bit longer commute for her. So uh, safe travels here on this Tuesday morning. Thankfully not as cold as it was let, yesterday. Granted, eight degrees feels like <laughs> you know I should wear sunscreen here on this Tuesday morning. Let me let me ask you this: What's the etiquette? Uh, if you have a sidewalk in front of your home, which I do not actually, okay, we're street parking uh, where I am in Irvington. I have a sidewalk that leads up from the street to you know to my front steps, if you will, to my front porch. What is the sh- snow shoveling etiquette? You have sidewalk in front of your house. I do, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you guys tell me what's the etiquette? Is, yeah, when you get home today, I would say A little yeah. shovel. Yeah. Okay. I, now I need to raise my hand and admit something. Does it doesn't hurt anybody? I, I left, Certainly, maybe a little salt down, <laughs> some pet friendly salt. Yeah. I, I, yes, I have some of that. I left my shovel in Southern Indiana with the old home. I am shovelless right now what in Indianapolis. Yeah. I don't know, and I was going to go out moving and, to Miami. Well, I was going to go out and get one, but uh, I didn't. I was lazy, and now I'm kind of caught with my pants down. It's okay. We have about an inch of snow. That's fine. So the but new the owners are like, "What the inch. hell am I doing with the shovel?" <laughs> yeah, it's a cheap one too. My my father in law was like, "Do you want to take it with you?" I'm like, "No." Look at that thing. Nah, don't worry about it. I'll get one. I'll go up to Home Depot when it once. Uh, I'll go to Menards once I get to Indianapolis. And it never happened. And here we are. We'll see what State Road 37 69 <laughs> looks like tonight for the commute down to Bloomington. Again, uh, it is Peacock 7 o'clock for this matchup. Uh, Purdue will get the second meeting in West Lafayette coming up on a Saturday in February. Uh, later this year, I think that's an eight o'clock tip if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Again, as Andy said, Bruce Weber, Tom Crean, long long history on the sidelines for these matchups. They're going to join us here coming up 
in the nine o'clock hour. I um, did want to get to a little bit of a lingering kind of Colts item. I posted something yesterday on basically why Gus Bradley uh, is returning. And for those that missed it, Chris Ballard, uh, you know, all but confirmed it last weekend saying Gus is under contract for 2024. And uh, it, the expectation is he will be back for a third season as defensive coordinator. Pretty much Ballard took full blame for the scoring issues. Uh, for those unfamiliar, a 28th in scoring defense each of the last two seasons. Uh, you hear Shane Sykin describe the Gus Bradley, I don't know, evaluation. And he says the word continuity. Is it too harsh to say I think that's such a lazy word to use in backing someone? Yeah, I just don't care. Uh, Coach Venturi talked about this uh, in you know Colts Roundtable. He talked about it when he was on with JMV. I mean, go go look at the playoff teams this year in the NFL. Uh, they did the opposite of continuity. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, all these teams, they changed things around. The Chiefs moved in a new offensive coordinator. Uh, the Cowboys have shuffled things around. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. The Bills fired their well, offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. So did the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Shane Sykin is not the head coach here if Nick Sirianni believed in continuity, right? Yes. Wouldn't Sirianni have kept kept the play-calling duties? Remember, it was halfway through that first season when Sirianni said, enough's enough, Uh, I need to do something different, and then Shane Sykin slid into that play-calling chair. So I just, to me, that's not the biggest ringing endorsement. Is Is it his decision? Do we know? I think that's the one lingering question. Whose decision is it that Gus Bradley is for sure staying next year? I would greatly, greatly, greatly hope it is Shane Sykin. Greatly, I mean, he but is we the don't know. head coach of the football team. Right. It would be meddling, frankly, in my opinion, from Chris Boward if you did not let your head coach decide who his coordinators will be, who his assistant coaches will be. Uh, I was watching the Manning cast last night, and by the way, I vote for Bruce Arians as a frequent, frequent guest on the Manning cast. I don't know if you guys caught it last night, but oh, yeah. Arians was outstanding. And, you know, Peyton said something to the effect last night in talking about Todd Bowles and that Tampa defense of, Bruce, this is the type of defense I hated playing against. Exotic. I don't know where it's coming from. And if you watch Jalen Hurts last night, he sure as hell did not know where it was coming from and did not handle it well. And I guess that is my disagreement with how Gus Bradley approaches defense. Again, Chris Bauer takes the blame. But schematically, I think you can do some things to help kind of offset whatever personnel deficiencies you might have, whether that's with disguise, whether that's with coverage, whether that's with blitzing, however you want to look at it. And I feel like if you talk to NFL coaches, and it's something that I have done, they would say preparing for the Colts defense ranks on the easy meter when you compare them to the rest of the 31 NFL teams. And you know, obviously there's a stat that jumps off the page. And again, I don't want to act like it all was horrific with Gus Bradley last year. But there's a stat that jumps off the page of franchise record in sacks. That is the big calling card that you hear from last season. The Colts finished last year ranked 8th in sacks uh, compared to the rest of the NFL team. So obviously, that's a very nice number. But Andy, they were 28th in hurry percentage, which to me is more of a how consistent is your pressure. Can you dial it up on a frequent basis? Sacks can be fickle. Um, you know, one or two here or there. Yes, they're big plays, but again, to me, it's more of consistent pressure. And when you are the least blitzing team in the NFL, which the Colts were last year, and you rank 28th in consistent pressure, hurry, percentage, however you want to describe it, that stands out to me. And too often last year, I thought, 
opposing players had kind of career games against you as well. Oh, that would did. be another well, wide receivers walk in and have and have big days. That wasn't just Nico Collins that did no, that. No, at the end of the season. Nakua did early in the yeah. year. You know, DeAndre Hopkins season high was against you. I think Devontae Adams, the second highest of his season, was against you as well. So um that element is, you know, if you look at wild card weekend of the six teams that advanced, you're gonna face four of these quarterbacks next season. You know, you're facing Josh Allen. You're facing C.J. Stroud, of course, twice. You're facing Jared Goff. You're facing Jordan Love. You're even going to see, you know, Tua next season. So the quarterback slate is going to get a lot, lot tougher here. Um, those are probably some of my issues that, yeah, you know, personnel, maybe it's not the greatest in the secondary, and there was a big youth movement, but I just don't think schematically uh, you have created enough of an advantage or attempted to create enough of an advantage there to offset personnel. Yeah, I guess my my thing was and and I don't have full clarity on two things, but let me dive into the first one. Can you keep Gus Bradley and can you tinker well you're keeping Gus Bradley in keeping Gus Bradley, I should say. Can you tinker with some stuff schematically? Cuz I'm not even as hot takey on Gus Bradley as I am kind of the scheme that he represents. Does that make sense? Like, if you... When is a coach a coach, though? And when is a coach too stubborn to change? Well, I mean, I Gus mean, Bradley's been, what, defensive coordinator for over a decade well, sure. in the league. And listen, we've talked about that with other coaches. We talked about that with Mike Tomlin. If Mike Tomlin was gone from the Steelers, it would be because, you know, he's going to, you know, hire kind of bum offensive coordinators. I mean, that's what he's done and why they've been pretty, you know, constipated on offense for a while. So if you bring Gus Bradley back... Are you getting the same Gus Bradley? And I tend to think the answer is probably yes. And then the other thing that I ask you, and I still don't know if this is Shane Steichen's a total decision or not, but if Shane Steichen looked at the defense and how non-exotic they are and not creative they are and all these different things, he looks at his own offense. That's not the way he coaches his quote unquote his side of the football, is it? You've mentioned this right. every every time yeah, we brought this up. He is a lot different than Gus Bradley. Now, is that how he views offense versus defense in today's it's, NFL? It's a, it's a great it's a great point. I, I mean, to me, it's not even Bradley. It's just it's kind of what the defense, their personality, their scheme, and what they represent. And I see Shane Steichen, who will go for it on fourth down, who will be you know who I think. And you saw it even with Anthony Richardson, even though it was such a small amount of time. I mean, didn't you see Anthony Richardson? I mean, they were doing some different things there. They were doing things that were tricky. I mean, early in the season when you know he'd run his punt team out and then run the offense back out and make you call a timeout, doing those sorts of things. We see that. We expect that from the offensive side of the football, but we don't on the defensive side of the football. Here's what it also has done. For as much as this team believes that they are on the precipice of something, and I understand that. Now, will that happen? Anthony Richardson, you know, he didn't go through a lot, almost any of the rookie pains this season. 
He's going to have to do that. The schedule is going to be more difficult next year than it was this year. Plus, you don't know who's going to be on the team, right? You, you mean, you, we don't know. We don't know which free agents are they're going to pick up from their own team, how much money they're going to spend, how the draft class that comes in. Are there going to be guys that can play immediately? Or you have four or five guys that basically need to sit a year. He, here's what it's done. Going into this offseason now and you know into next year, it's given Colts fans a a guy to complain about. Keeping Gus Bradley has done that, has it not? That this year I didn't really feel that that was the case. There was no, hey, we're kind of zoned in on this. Indiana fans are zoned in right now on Mike Woodson. If something goes wrong, it's Mike Woodson's fault. It doesn't matter. It's Mike Woodson's fault. Colts fans are going to be zoned in and watching Gus Bradley and that defense. And if it's changed or if it's the same, and if it is the same, Then you get into, can you replicate the sack numbers that you did last year? Because that's the number that's always thrown back at you. If you say, well, I mean, you know, you know, what about the defense? Would you change this or that? Well, well, I mean, they were top 10 in sacks and they had the most sacks they've ever had. I think it's deeper than that. Again, I think the consistent, I mean, to be 29th in hurry rate, that to me is more of a consistent. Was there a moment there in the third quarter last Saturday against Houston where you dialed it up? Did you sack CJ Stroud a couple times? Yeah, but over the course of 60 minutes, were you a consistent pressure team? No, not at all. I'd say in the first, second, and fourth quarter, it was library quiet around creating that pressure on Stroud. Do you agree with Ballard? Ballard takes blame. I committed to the youth movement. I signed up for this. I traded away Stephon Gilmore. I wanted to play the youth card in the secondary. Do you take his word and say, yes, that is the reason for the 28th scoring defense in the NFL, despite playing 10 rookie or backup quarterbacks in 17 games. Partially, but do we expect this to be a defense that we're going to consider to be super aggressive and flying around next year? You don't, do you? I mean, it's going to look a lot like last year, right? This coming season? Now, Ballard had comments throughout Thursday's presser that he would say, we're going to have long conversations about that. And, you know, you can look at a few things and see that Gus mixed it up a bit. Now, a bit for him is like, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, me taking tequila shots, uh, <laughs> to go back to your analogy. Yep. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I'm not holding my breath for grand changes. I just think there is these, there's a bit of a misconception on, like, what the personnel looks like defensively and that they haven't invested a lot. I mean, like, I see first, second, and third round picks all over this defense. I see major money invested at several of these spots. Obviously, the blockbuster trade for DeForest Buckner. I get that you committed to some youth at, at corner, but I just don't see it as much as maybe uh, others do with it. Uh, but certainly, it, it's going to be a huge, huge thing because, Andy, they could average the same number of points allowed next season. And given the quarterback slate, we could walk away from that and think, hey, this defense is playing a little better because the quarterbacks are such an uptick. I looked it up last week when I was posting a story. And again, this is up on article form 1075thefan.com. But I was looking up, um, if you look at, I think it was the top 15 quarterbacks and quarterback rating from this past year. I think the Colts faced two of them last season. And coming up in 2024, they'll face five of them. So again, you had, I thought, a extremely manageable quarterback slate, particularly late in the year this past season. That is not likely to be the case for you next year. How does your defense react 
to that. Uh, Rick Venturi was on with JMV. Okay to play this? This is about a minute or so, KB. I want you to take a listen. What needs what needs to change? We we understand kind of what they were last year, but what needs to change on defense? Here's what Coach had to say. What the Colts need to do, they need to be a much more challenging coverage team and a much more ca- coverage a blitz team. They are 79% zone, which is number one. That's the highest percentage of zone, and it's not a matchup zone. Okay, they're 14% in blitzes, which is last in the league. So there's not pressure, and there's not contested passes. So in order to contest passes, you have to go from an area code, every area zone team underneath, to a hard match team. You've got to play more man-to-man combinations where you press, and you have to get specific game plans for receivers. Every receiver that's come in here for two years has had a career day. I mean, if you're going to play, if you if you're going to play Collins and he's the only guy, you're going to roll up on him or you're going to man and double him every single down. And if he doesn't get 195 yards, how do they beat you? You know. But I mean, again, it's it's a contested scheme, both often, both in the front. We we play that over defense 90 percent of the time. We finally got into a little bit of bear late, which everybody else is doing. But we're a predictable front every down. Again, 14% pressure and non-contested coverages. So, I mean, if you ask me the answer, you change all that. You have to change all that if you're going to be better and if you're going to be a championship defense. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Nico Collins, season high, Andy, uh, Rashid Shahid, remember him from the Saints? Oh, yeah. Went over the top a couple times against <laughs> oh, yeah. season high. Including the game winner. Uh, who did we feel bad for in that game? Was it Tony Brown that, was that Tony we felt Brown. bad for? Uh-huh. Yeah. DeAndre Hopkins, season high. Puka Nakua, Devontae Adams, second highest of the season. So, yeah, I mean, how much? Because, again, if you listen to Chris Boward, he would say it's a lot more personnel-centric on that end. Um, do we see any involvement? From Gus Bradley, and, and do you demand that? Because I think that's the thing that that's the question. Shane Sykin cannot lose sight of. Of like this, it, what do you want defensively? You are the head coach. Like, don't forget that. You know, I thought fourth and one play call was a little bit more offensive play caller and not head coach thought. That is, hey man, this looked great on a Wednesday or Thursday at West Fifty Sixth Street when you get in the course of the game and Minshew had overthrown Tyler Goodson the one other time they tried to hook up earlier in the game and Tyler Goodson hadn't touched the ball yet. I don't know if that's what I want to do with the season on the line. That's the question I have here is, can you put the the head coach hat on and say, do we need a championship-level defense? Because if you look at some of the weather these AFC games faced, and both of them are going to be outdoors coming up this weekend, you're going to have to bring a pretty much a championship-level defense at some point. I mean, you go back to, I found it fitting last night, it was Peyton Manning and Ray Lewis uh, in the second half of the Manning cast, when you go back to that 06 Super Bowl run, the Colts won a game without scoring a touchdown. They scored 15 points. Venetary, five field goals to beat the Ravens in round two on the road in Baltimore. You've got to be able to win ugly. Yes, it is as much of it's a pass-happy offensive league. When you get in the month of January, particularly with how many AFC teams play outdoors, you're going to have to do that. Ray Lewis was absolutely disgusted by the Eagles' attempt to tackle last night. <laughs> Boy, too. it was bad, wasn't it? He was it? like Peyton Manning watching a bad quarterback play. And they have a lot of money and high picks Those dedicated tackling, to that defense. The, 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 the tackling from the Eagles was an abomination. And again, Shaq Leonard last night dressed. Nothing. Yeah. Zero snaps played. 70 defensive snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles. They did not have Shaq. And at one point, Andy, he was playing. He was playing a decent role yeah. for them in December 
Uh, zero snaps. Listen, I, I know Leonard time. is is beloved here. I get it. I just remember after he had he had a I won't say a nice game, but he had a few tackles in one of their games early. It might have been after the Giants. I can't even remember that that he was you know how everyone's trying to spit on his name and do everything like that. It's like okay, why don't you string together uh, two good games and why don't you start a game and then we'll get to that. Do you think you think Shane Steichen totally knows what he wants on defense? I mean, he is a first-time head coach. I just throw it out there because... I would hope. He strikes me as a pretty smart individual. Well, I, I would hope that I, I do somewhere too, in the old blueprint when you but, present it for a head coaching search that you describe uh, what you want uh, defensively. Agreed, but I don't feel like defensively, everything that's went into Gus Bradley and the way they play kind of fits Shane Steichen. That's just how... It's how I feel. Yeah. I, I, and I don't, I don't know if I'm right with that. It's just kind of a gut feeling. It doesn't fit him when you put, like, the offensive hat on, but maybe this is what he wants. Maybe he views it and says, you know what? No, no, no. Be vanilla. Play way back. Try to keep everything in front of you. And that's the issue of, like, if that is the thought process, I thought the Colts got burned over the top way too often. Well, yeah, Nico Collins can't be running season. wide open for a 75-yard I mean, touchdown. times Mike Evans was r- oh, wide running open. wide yeah. open. We wide open. Shahid a little bit earlier. Obviously, Pukunaku on the biggest play of the game in, in overtime. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great it's a great question to ask Shane. Um, again, his answer, I, I if I'm Gus Bradley or, hell, I'm reading the room, I don't consider it the greatest ringing endorsement in the world that continuity is the word that he uses in terms of his evaluation of Gus Bradley. Well, if if you're a Colts fan, just a couple more things, we'll get to a check down. You know, if you're, a, I don't think this is where we are. I mean, I think this year it's going to be Gus Bradley. The only way it's not Gus Bradley is if, one of these openings, someone wants Gus, right? And on some of these openings, there's a bunch of coaches, um, you know, out there that are going to be taking over from Atlanta to Tennessee to Washington to the Raiders, and just keep going down the list. Would there be, you know, back in Seattle? Would there be somebody um, that maybe Gus reads the kind of reads the room here, and maybe it's a better uh, spot for him? He's got elsewhere. a pretty good ear. He's yeah. the play caller, and the GM takes blame for I, it. I, listen, I'm with you. The other things I would say would be, okay, let's give them, for now, the benefit of the doubt. And by them, I mean, let's give Steichen the benefit of the doubt, and then on top of it, let's give Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt that that this was you know on Ballard. Okay, well, next year, those young corners are an entire year older. They're an entire offseason season of coaching and training and everything else. So you would imagine, we always do this, and it doesn't always happen, that when a guy goes from year one to year two or year two to year three, they do what, Kevin? We we automatically think they're going to do what? They're going to get better, right? Don't we automatically do that? So I'm, I'm kind of doing it here that, okay, the young players, the youth movement that Ballard talked about and has talked about, okay, now now it's now it's growing up. Now they've got all of those reps. Now they have an entire offseason and they're growing up. And the second thing, this would be the last thing I would say on it, is when they throw the number of sacks in your face of not everything was bad and it's it's a high number, I understand it. If they were more aggressive and they, if they had more than generic fronts or four-man fronts, how much higher would their sack total be then? In other words, it's good. Oh, you might have great ratings for a, and again, a, a radio show. I don't go well, to, can it be better? I, I don't go to the sack total that needs to change. I go to consistent pressure. You can't be 29th in hurry rate in the NFL. Not If you're that high in sacks and that low in hurry rate... 
that means it is feast or famine, and you cannot be that. You have to get a little bit more consistent pressure, against, especially against these quarterbacks. I mean, those are feasts. You should have been foaming at the mouth facing some of these quarterbacks, getting more, again, 10 of your 17 games against rookie or backups. That's not going to be there in 2024 for you. Uh, by the way, we teased this leading into the segment. Uh, Jason Kelsey, sounds like he is hanging it up here. Uh, after this season, 36 years old, certainly going to be a Hall of Famer there. So uh, one yeah. more run at the Eagles, trying to get over the hump there, and they did it's... not get it done. How about the tush push getting stopped last night? <laughs> the old two-point conversion tush push. Do you see this smile on my face? I know it's not. Listen, people How of Indian, are you? People of Indianapolis. So you are not chanting SEC. You are oh, not chanting NFC no. East. I, I, You're I very happy to see the Eagles. I don't believe in that. I don't believe like. Mark's got two NFC North teams <laughs> yeah, left. That's He's fine. He's carrying That's fine. He can do that to each their own. Like I used to cover Kentucky football, KB, and they chant SEC when Georgia or Alabama would do well. That's not me. Watching the Dallas Cowboys implode and then the next night watching Nick Sirianni, who. who you know what Nick Sirianni's good for is fist pumping that and yelling at crowds and yelling at Indianapolis crowds and yelling at Kansas City crowds and to watch him be completely lost completely lose his team he lost six out of seven the only team he beat was the lowly New York Giants and Tommy DeVito I don't know if it was Tommy DeVito Tommy Cutlets or if it was Tyrod Taylor uh you know you know limping his way through a football game beat DeVito's agent too to watch exactly to watch those two teams fall on their face. I mean, that's like a Colts fan watching the Titans or the Patriots or all these teams fall on their face. Something happened in Philadelphia. You don't lose six out of seven with that personnel. Mike Tomlin, Nick Sirianni, both back? Yeah, I think Sirianni enters the season, though, in a, in a complete. Yeah. I, I think Sirianni's been Wouldn't pants it be a little bit here. they fired him a year after going to the Super Bowl? Yeah, oh, I, it oh, would Mark, be wild. It, it, it would and be. And it's not it would even... Be. A year when you, I mean, they were ten and one. Yeah. I mean, so you'd you'd be firing them over what well, six games? Well, and they're a playoff team. Yeah. So it's not like they they missed the playoffs. I mean, they still they still made the playoffs, losing six out of seven. Something had to have happened with that team. They have too many. I, I dare I say great players. They have too many at least good players. But I, I'm I'm telling you, Sirianni lost those two coordinators. He lost Jonathan Gannon to Arizona, and he lost Shane Steichen here to Indianapolis. And I, they have not been able to replace those guys. They have Matt Patricia. Call, I mean, Matt Patricia is still calling defense. The pencil wasn't sharpened enough last <laughs> What's night. What's this guy doing for Mr. Patricia? There, Matt on the Patricia, sideline. really. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hope to have Bruce Weber here in just a second. Coming up, bottom of the hour, about 9.30. Tom Crean going to join us. Uh, both those guys, a lot of experience in the rivalry, IU and Purdue. Tonight, reminder, TV-wise, you can find it at 7 o'clock on Peacock. Our coverage, WIBC, beginning uh, at 6 o'clock. Should we do this as we wait here? I believe we. Uh, what uh, Weber's going through uh, airport security right now. He's got to have pre-check, doesn't he? 
He's got to have the TSA. Shoes pre- off, Coach Weber. No. Belt off. That's why you have to get, Do you have pre-check? You got to have pre-check. I do not have pre-check. Oh, come on, KB. It's like 75 bucks. It's like 75 bucks for five years. As much as you fly a couple times a year, it's worth it. Uh, I was going to ask you this. Do you want to just, just like flat out give our predictions as we begin this hour? Or do you want to wait to the very end? I say we do that to close things okay. out. All right. Yeah. All right. We want That's to keep fine. both fan bases with us here until the end of the show. Come on now. <laughs> I think people know who I'm taking in this, in this game. I think they I think they might know. So uh, we shall find out. Bruce Weber joining us. Uh, been around this rivalry for a long time now with the Big Ten Network. He joins us here uh, on the Wake Up Call on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, well, Looking forward to a uh, good game tonight. Uh, as uh, are we. Should be a fun one there uh, in Assembly Hall. Let me start there. Uh, we'll dive into the game, kind of your X's and O's, what you have seen from both teams, but you've been around this rivalry for uh, for a long time, going all the way back to at least 1980. Uh, what does this game, these two teams matching up, what does it mean to you? Well, it means a lot. It's, it's a special game. It's... Uh, you know, and I've been very fortunate to be involved in some big rivalry games. Obviously, the when I was at Kansas State, the Kansas game, and you know, when we were at Illinois, Iowa, and Michigan State, we had some pretty good games. But this is special, and the whole state's tuning in. And I really think records a lot of times get thrown out the window because the home team, the emotion of the game, just changes it so much. And uh, I was talking to a former player yesterday actually and he had one of his better games in you know against Indiana and we upset them at home and I think the home factor is such a big factor and especially with Indiana this year they play at a whole nother level at home and and if they shoot the ball well that'll give them a chance. He is Bruce Weber again with Gene Cady, 1980 to 98. Coach, I don't know if you know it, but I added it up. I believe I have this correct. I think 22 and 19 the Boilers were against the Hoosiers when you were with Gene Cady there for nearly two decades. So a winning record for you against Indiana as the assistant there for Coach Cady. How did this game get viewed on the schedule? Was it viewed in a different light when you were at Purdue? There's no doubt, and you can say as a coach, every game's important and all that stuff. You do your coach talk, and but when it comes down to it, 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 it when you knew it was around the corner, it was a big game, and it, it meant so much. Obviously, I was involved with, you know, two legendary Hall of Fame coaches with Coach Katie and Coach Knight, and I think the rivalry, you know, both teams are really good, winning championships, and uh, you know, it. it it was it was even more uh, heated at that time, and, and you know my first ones were the early ones where, you know, Coach Knight brought the mule out on TV, and <laughs> you know, and and then the, the obviously the radio or interview that got released or the locker room talk that got released, and you know we're not losing to Purdue, we don't lose to Purdue, the whole thing. So uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun, but I think those two respected each other and. It made it special, and uh, it just – the atmosphere in the place, the buzz, the energy is just a whole nother level. So no matter what the coaches say, you know, it's another game. Well, it, it isn't another game because of that energy level. 
7 o'clock tonight, Assembly Hall shall be rocking. It is on Peacock. It'll be Robbie Hummel and Noah Eagle on the call of that one. Again, Purdue and Indiana for the 218th time. Bruce Weber with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Coach, if Mike Woodson dialed you up and said, all right, Khalil Ware, Malik Renew, we got some bigs off the bench. How should we handle Zach Eady? What would be your answer? Well, I think the success has been. I, I don't have, I'm not sharing some secret information when you post trap them and 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 do a good job of bottling him up, it, it, it makes a difference in keeping him out of rhythm. If you let him get in rhythm, uh, he just has such great hands and he can shoot the basketball, the, the touch around the hoop, um, and then he's rebounding. I, that, that's the only thing is that he's gotten, when they've struggled, he's gotten into foul, foul trouble um, on some of those offensive rebound attempts. And, you know, I know Coach Fainer's done a great job getting those guys to rebound the basketball but you want to keep him in the game, and he's got to be smart about that. Indiana does have the size. They're going to have to box him out uh, and keep them off the glass. I think that is so important, not just Zach, but Gillis and First. and I mean, they hit the glass hard, and, and that makes a big difference because you don't want to give up those easy ones. So, And then they, Indiana's got to – I mean, it's a no secret. I had them earlier in the year. they got to make free throws. they got to take care of the basketball and – and then if they can make some threes, um, it, it obviously helps them. Bruce Weber with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I, I just want to follow up on Edie, and the answer is probably both. You might think this is stupid. It might be Andy. It's both. Is it? Is it? What's more important? Is it making those touches difficult or flat out denying those? Or once he gets the ball, the defense you play once he touches the ball, they're in the lane. What do you think is more important for Mike Woodson tonight? I think the beginning of it, forcing him out, if you let him get deep and if you let him get down the middle, and, and Coach Painter does a great job of that high-low pass. And a lot of times it, it used to be old-school basketball was that high-low from your 40 or 5 or your 5 to your 4, but now it's, it's guards feeding the post. So you've got to get him off the block. You've got to push him out. That allows you to get the, the opportunity to maybe post-trap if you're going to have it in your system. And and. The thing that I've seen, you know, if you Northwestern post traps, Nebraska post traps, if it's in your system and you know how to scramble out of it and you practice that on a daily routine, it's a lot easier. But if you're just going to like two days before, oh, we're going to post trap that that's not easy to do. And because it's, you know, basketball's a game of habits and especially defensive habits are so important. So those scrambles out of it are really, really important. And, and Purdue has done a much better job of shooting the basketball from the perimeter as, you know, up to this point. And, you know, if, if you're not good at that scramble, you're not going to get to the shooters and they're going to get wide open looks. He's a former National Coach of the Year. He's Bruce Weber. Again, spent nearly two decades right next to Gene Cady. He's seen this rivalry up close and personal quite a lot and he's with us here on this Tuesday morning as we get ready for tonight you know on paper coach obviously you've mentioned the crowd the electricity certainly will be in Indiana's favor tonight Uh, maybe an emerging McKenzie Mbaco and kind of how Purdue handles him you know lineup wise Purdue a little smaller if they're trying to guard Mbaco maybe I'm stretching a little bit but I guess where do you see any on paper advantages on the floor outside of the crowd for Indiana and trying to make this interesting late well, I, I think that Mbako's, you know, if they make shots and he's one of their better three-point shooters, if not their best, he's really, really important. Um, Renew, 
um, scoring and, you know, he's just done a great job making threes and scoring inside. I think he's got to be one of the most improved players in the league, maybe in the country. Uh, what he, from this, from freshman year to sophomore year, and you got to admire that, what he's, how much improvement he's made. And, I, you know, I think he's a key. And then where just rebounding the basketball, I think, is important. Um, you know, he's had some huge games, 17 rebounds, I think 15. Um, you know, those are big games. And the, and the boards, I think, are really, really a key for Indiana to not let Purdue get those easy ones, those easy second chance points. Bruce Weber with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, I want to go back a minute ago to something you said, and you, you know, you you were said you said it with a smile that hey, this is not brain surgery here, but they need to get in, they need to be able to kick out. Indiana needs to be able to make some threes. Boy, it has been a it's been a labor watching them try to make threes. They only make about five a game. They attend uh, or they attempt fifteen. They're shooting at thirty three percent this year, Coach, from three. Do you think they have the personnel? to knock down enough to win tonight? Or do you think, and listen, it happens in games, it happens in rivalry games, that they'll need to have someone have a little bit of an out-of-body experience to finally knock down some threes? Coach Katie always talked about we need somebody to play at the magic level. And and one of my early games, it was Mike Scarce. I, I don't know, Scooby-Doo is his nickname. It's probably too long ago for you, but Mike, Mike had an out-of-body experience. We beat them at home, and, you know, he just played the best game of his career. And, I mean, you see it all the time. You saw it last week with Nebraska against, uh, you know, Purdue. They they had probably three guys playing out-of-body experiences, and that magic level is so important. I, I think you saw it with uh, the Indiana-Kansas game. Uh, Galloway was really, really special, and, and I'm sure as an in-state kid, it, it, the game even means more to him. Um, you know, so you see maybe a guy like that just really stepping up and, and shooting that ball at that magic level. I think the other thing that adds some fuel to this thing is you have two former, you know, players. They're alumni of their schools, which obviously Coach Woodson, Coach Painter. Um, you know, that you can say what you want. There's a little bit of dislike between the two schools. <laughs> sure. and I think there's there's respect, but there's dislike, and that, that even goes to the players, so I think that even adds a little fuel to the fire. Coach, I was reading something, and this probably goes back to your early years at Purdue, but you were watching film, I think, of Indiana and Minnesota, and you were struck by how Coach Knight was in full control of the officials <laughs> in that game, and you wanted to let Coach Katie know that, and if I'm not mistaken, Coach Katie might have gotten teed up early in an Indiana Purdue contest. Uh, could you share that story if you don't mind? Yeah, it's actually it's. I'm so old that at that time there was no film to watch. You had real to real film, and I used to have to carry it. It was four canisters, but we could scout in person at that time. This was a long time ago, and it and I'm young, 23, whatever, and it's one of my first scouts in the Big Ten, and and I'm so I'm pretty naive, but I go up to Minnesota. Minnesota has Brewer and Tucker and really good players, and uh, and the games of. Minnesota's kind of winning, and all of a sudden, you know, Coach Knight and his, you know, infinite wisdom kind of <laughs> took the game over a little bit, and, you know, in his way, and the calls went their way, and um, they won the game. And I went back, and I was, you know, I, again, I'm pretty naive, and I I hadn't been around the rivalry of Coach Knight, you know, I, very little at that time. And I just said, Coach, it's unbelievable. You can't let him control a game, you know, with the officials and, he just changed the game, and 
So we're at Indiana. It's our first game against them. And Coach Katie not just gets one technical. He gets two technicals. And if I think you look it up, it might have been in the first two minutes of the game, three minutes of the game. And uh, at that time, you didn't get kicked out of games with two technicals. And But, you know, I said, you know, I just felt so bad. My heart just sunk when I, you know, I said, Coach, I didn't, I didn't mean for you to get technicals. He goes, he knows I'm in the state right now. And that, that was his way. He kind of set the tone for that rivalry to, to really, you know, get some fire to it. And, uh, and then we beat, they beat us that time, but we beat them at home and they were, that was Isaiah and that group. And, and they won the national championship. So we, it, it made it for a lot of fun. I, we used to play them. I think it was like the last game of the first round and the first game of the second, you know, the last game of the, of the season, uh, several years. Then, and that was, we played them at home the last game of the year and we ended up beating them. I think we were the last one to beat them at that time. Cause they went, there was no tournament, uh, big 10 tournament and they went on a run to the, to the national championship. So a lot of fun. And, uh, you know the obviously the the mule came out and all the different <laughs> things. So Jack the donkey, right? The donkey, yeah. Yeah, it was it was yeah yeah. He, he, Coach Knight said I asked Coach Katie to come on the show and he refused. I asked George King to come and they sent a replacement and it was Jack Purdue or whatever Jack you know whatever it was. So, but I, I used to run home from church every Sunday. I wanted to see that show because you wanted to see what Coach Knight was going to do, and it's, especially before our game because you knew he was getting fired up, and or after our game, you always wanted to see it. And I have I have on Betamax. I still have that tape of the the Mule game. I I, I don't know if I can play it because no one has a Betamax anymore, but. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, and it was great, great to be part of. I love it. I love it. We'll end with this. We had you on last spring, I think it was, and honestly, a big reason why I wanted to have you on then was because you know you were the coach of the 2019 USA team that Tyrese Halliburton was on, and I don't know if our audience remembers that conversation, but that was a loaded team of the Evan Mobleys and the Cade Cunninghams, and sure enough, here's a skinny kid from Iowa State. If I'm not mistaken, you were pretty struck by Halliburton's presence on that team. For our audience here locally in the Pacers market that might have missed that, what were your impressions of coaching Tyrese Halliburton back on uh, Team USA a handful of years ago? Well, it's just amazing. I'm from Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, a two-star recruit. He went to Iowa State. We played against him at K-State freshman year, and he was just solid. He, you know, his assist turnovers, I think, was the best in the country. It was just, just amazing, but he rarely shot the basketball. And then he came to the tryouts and, just again, he had never been involved in that as a two-star recruit, and all the other guys, Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley, they've been, you know, they've been playing USA basketball since they were probably fourteen, fifteen, um, you know. And he came to the tryouts, and I, you know, he was. I kept telling Sean Ford, who's had a USA basketball, I said, "I'm telling you, he's going to be a great, you know, fit-in player for us." And and it uh, it, it went way beyond that. He he could have easily been the MVP of our team. Um, just really got so much confidence and he just exploded with that summer the next year then obviously had the unbelievable season got hurt actually against k-state he hurt he got hurt his wrist and and then he still ended up you know being a a high draft choice and and just amazing and the thing that you know and i told you guys last he is just such a great quality person 
just, you know, the family. He, he keeps his, you know, his kind of humility. I, I, I just love it. And just amazing how he's continued to get better. I saw that. I know you guys probably saw when they were in the the in-season tournament and Shaq had him on with his dad and mom. And, and Shaq didn't even know his first name. I kind of <laughs> laughed. He, goes, he, he said he's. He's pretty good, and I'm like, you know, what have you been watching? I mean, it's yeah, he is, and it's just a pretty good run for the Pacers here late. And, um, and I, I went to a game last year in Indianapolis. My former player, Dean Wade, plays for the Cavs, and I got to see Dean play, and then Tyrese and his mom. And I mean, they spent a half hour with me after the game, and just again, you know, I only had him for a month, but. Uh, just such good people, and and that's why he's you know he's going to be a long time great in in the NBA, and and it's great for the Pacers that they pretty good pickup in that trade. So very fortunate to yes. have him here in this market for kids to look up to here. Certainly moving forward, uh, hell of a player, Coach. Can't thank you enough. Uh, outstanding conversation every time we have you on. Enjoy your work on Big Ten Network. Safe travels on this Tuesday morning, and uh, looking forward to. Uh, Another chapter tonight in Indiana Purdue. So thank you for that. Thank you. It's good to be on. It'll be a great game. Looking forward to it. I'll be in the studio. We don't have that game because Robbie is in, uh, it's on Peacock, but we'll be talking about it after uh, there's a second game on BTN, and, and we'll be on the big show later. And I'm sure that'll be the, the kickoff, the game between those two. So it'll be fun, interesting to watch. And, you know, for both teams to stay in the hunt with Wisconsin. Even you add that into the fact, I mean, it's important. I mean, I, I don't think anyone thought Wisconsin would be stretching a two-game lead at, at this point, and, and they look so good. They've been so consistent. So big game in a lot of ways. Coach, I, I hope I'm not keeping you from your travels. Last, last oh. one, and I don't know, maybe you're not a Vegas line guy. I was surprised to see Purdue favored by nine and a half. Does that surprise you? Um, no, it doesn't. And, but again, I don't, I think all that thing is, it's thrown out the window. I mean, they're just going by their analytics and all that thing. I I think this is a time I I love coach Izzo's interview last week after the Northwestern game. He said he didn't like analytics and then I don't like them. I I think it's, it's more, it takes out the human side. It takes out the emotion, all that stuff. And and that's what basketball is about. And especially tonight. So, you know, I, I can see it on paper that, you know, Purdue would be that favorite and they're, you know, where they're at, but uh, I don't think it matters. Um, I think the, you know, the matters is that emotion and somebody playing at that magic level for Indiana that could make that game a special game tonight. So emotions will be on full display inside of Assembly Hall. So for Jack the Donkey here, Coach Weber, we can't thank you enough. Appreciate it, Coach. We'll be watching tonight. Thank you. All right. I had to buy the Peacock to watch the Chiefs game. And now you got to watch, you know, you get to, at least you get to watch the Indiana Purdue game on Peacock too. So, yeah, you can't be canceling Peacock too early, coach. Yeah. (laughs) It used to be on Channel 4 on on Indianapolis. I watched every every Purdue Indiana game was on that one. So, our listeners are nodding their heads everywhere at Mm -hmm. that one. That is Bruce Weber. Thank you, coach. Reminder you missed. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To any of our program, any of the fine programs here on The Fan, you can check us out, 1075thefan.com. We just spoke with Bruce Weber. You miss any of that. Again, 1075thefan.com. And you definitely don't want to miss our next guest who joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline, a former Indiana coach. Obviously, he knows this rivalry. Currently, currently their ESPN College Hoops analyst, Tom Crean, joining us here on the program. Coach, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning to both of you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, before we dive into the basketball, I have to ask you, how was it being there at the national championship game watching Jim and watching Michigan win the national title? That had to be quite the scene. Uh, it really was. I mean, the, the buildup uh, of the day and being able to see the behind-the-scenes, the meetings, the the walkthrough, the, the speeches from the coaches, like that kind of stuff just built up even in somebody like me. So I can't even imagine what it was like for the players. And they just carried it out. I mean, everything that they had worked for basically since the season ended a year earlier when they lost to TCU, I mean, it came to life. And uh, to see Jim happy, to see his family, to see my wife and in-laws and and uh, my brother-in-law, John, to see everybody so happy and our kids were just – that was fantastic. It was great to be a part of it. He is Tom Crean. He's with us here. Obviously, nine years at the helm in Bloomington. If Indiana wins tonight, it'll be 4-5 or five over Purdue. Last time they did that was with Coach Tom Crean, 2012-13 the 13 season. Um, Coach, if you look at this game, when it was you at the helm, obviously you had to endure quite a lot early in your tenure down there. What did it mean when Purdue popped up on the schedule for you? Oh, I think you knew um, – well, first off, you knew long before you ever got to Indiana that it was one of the great rivalries in all of college sports. I mean, you could feel that, you know, no matter where you were at. But I think once you were in it and and you saw it from people and basically one out of every three, one out of every four, either questions or statements or hopes and wishes you'd get from people were to beat Purdue. And so you felt that. and. And uh, I think that, along with the respect that we had for how good they were, for what Matt had done, for what Matt was doing uh, even before we got the job and how well they were playing, uh, it meant a ton. And you knew you were going to have to really, really be able to execute. You were going to have to be able to defend them. You were going to have to be able to defend multiple actions. But you're also going to have to stay to your strengths. And the buildings were so great, right? Like when you were playing at Assembly Hall, I look at that now like that's probably uh, maybe a five, six-point advantage, you know, when you're playing at Assembly Hall. But frankly, when you're playing at Mackey, it's about the same because of the way the fans feel uh, inside the building about both teams. Obviously, there were some ebbs and flows to Matt Painter's tenure during your nine years in Bloomington. Uh, but certainly, without question, they are one of the most consistent programs at the highest level here over the last handful of seasons. What do you think is the reason why Matt Painter's had so much success at his alma mater? Well, I think he's, he's uh, I don't want to say reinvented, but it's kind of that. He's made adjustments all along the way uh, with his team. It, you know, his offensive arsenal has improved so many ways. They always ran a lot of set plays. But then he, he found so many different ways to score. He's based it on his personnel. And, uh, you know, one year uh, when they've got Edwards and Klein, they might be running all kinds of multiple stagger screens, double screens, all kinds of misdirection actions. Uh, 
Uh, certainly when he had Robbie Hummel, when he had Johnson, when he had Moore, there were so many different ways they could score. And now you see it with what they have with the guards and what they have with, with Zach Eady. They can get into a lot of four round one. They can get into high low. They can find different ways to get drives down the lane. They get great spacing. And I think they've always been a constant of guarding you defensively. And, and you really, really have to work to exploit uh, what you want to take advantage of in a game like them because they cover for each other so well. Tom Crean joining us here. It's a wake-up call. It's uh, hanging out with us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned Zach Eady. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer. He's a difficult guy to stop, but I'll ask it anyway. How do you begin to slow him down? We know Indiana has a good front court. What do they do? What do you think they do tonight with Zach Eady? Well, it all starts with how easy he gets to catch. And I think that's, that's what's key. You know, he, he makes so many easy catches. The people that make him work, the people that get in front of his body, the people that find a way to put either immense pressure on the ball or to get back off and almost play a man and a half on the pass of Zach Eady is so important because once he gets it, he's such a threat, not only to score, but to pass it out. And then one thing that he's so good at is he's basically a step ahead of you in, in the decisions that he makes. So if he passes it out, he's already in offensive rebounding position or reposting before you even realize that he's done it. And uh, they're so good in the middle of the floor and they're so good in getting it to him in the middle of the floor. Um, if anything, you got to make him fade away. You can't let him just drop that shoulder and go right up into the basket area, let alone the dunks, because he's so good with that. you got to try to make that fade come. But you've got to try every time to limit the easy catches that he's going to get. Because if you can get it to be harder, if you can get him uh, out of the middle of the lane, if you can get the help there on the pass, what I see a lot of teams doing is they react. They might have a double scheme, but it's late. And he's so fundamentally sound because he doesn't put the ball where you can strip it from him. He keeps it high and he powers his dribble when he goes. So I think it, it, it starts with that. But then I think you've also got to work him on the on the defensive end. You've got to get the game going quickly. You've got to try to bring fatigue early where he's got to get up and down the court constantly to where, you know, he, he has to catch his breath a little bit because I think he's in really good shape. But I don't see the, the, te- the teams that play 40 minutes of running basketball and then make them work in the half court are the ones that would have a chance to be successful. We have seen a couple rare Zach Eady foul moments here over the last couple of games, so something to keep an eye on tonight, certainly. Again, he is Tom Crean, nine years in Bloomington. The last Sweet 16 for the Hoosiers came with Tom Crean at the helm. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I know Big Ten maybe isn't necessarily the games that you're calling or the games you're watching a whole lot, but your impressions of IU from afar, certainly tonight a huge one for them to try to get back near the res- or near that you know, bubble talk uh, what have you thought of uh, IU here this season? Well, I think the home the home court is going to be is going to be phenomenal, and I think the things that maybe Purdue struggle at okay, they uh, the lawyer struggles guarding the ball. Uh, a couple of their guys struggle when there's a lot of pressure. I don't see many teams that are putting Braden Smith and 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 uh, Fletcher Lawyer in the same actions. You know, those are the kind of things. That, that hurt a team like that. What, what Indiana has got to be able to do, they've got to be able to get good shots. And, 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 and starting with the good shots, is their spacing really, it just has to be better. I mean, they're, they're, they're spacing. When your spacing is not good, it, it, too many times you take away the obvious pass or the next pass. And I think that is, is really 
something that, that is important. I don't think it's a matter as much of who's scoring as much as they're in position to score because the ball moves, there's good spacing. I think their guard play, uh, especially at the point guard position, has really got to improve. Uh, and then the thing that Indiana does that they can't do too much of tonight or Purdue will really hurt that is is Indiana really overhelps on the dribble. And, and I mean, almost, I mean it's, it's up to them how they want to play it. But when you, when you overhelp as much as they do, you're creating not only the long closeout for the defender, but you're giving way more of an open look to a team. And the thing about Purdue that's different than some other Big Ten teams is Purdue really does have good spacing. Their shooters have improved their range. Smith is an improved shooter, but he's an improved range shooter. A lawyer's got good range. Jones has got good range. Um, the young freshmen have got good range. So you, if you overhelp on Purdue and they're making shots, it's going to be tough. And, and I think you do the best job you can do to keep the ball in front of you. You have your, your double scheme that you have for Edie, and you try to make the game go as much as you can. Some great stuff there from Tom Crean on tonight's matchup. Again, 7 o'clock, Indiana and Purdue. Coach, if you don't mind, I wanted to go back to your tenure in Bloomington. Your first four years were my four years, actually, in Bloomington. And I almost wow, felt. Is that right? Yeah, I almost <laughs> felt like I, I did. I tried to uh, make Tom Pritchard and Daniel Moore behave as much as I could off the court. You stormed the court for as well. There. I, coach, I did. Can, yeah. I, I stormed uh, Minnesota, Coach. You remember that victory? I sure do. Wait a minute. If you were trying to keep those guys in line, then you might have failed a few times. Yeah. Try is the uh, is the key word with that. Yeah. I love those guys. I'm kidding. I love those two. <laughs> As you know, try the key word with those two. Um, yeah. But if you look at your time there, I almost think it's two eras. Like you had to get the program out of hell, which you did. And then, you know, you, I guess 2012, probably my senior year, it was a much different feel to it the rest of the way. If you could go back to maybe 2012 and tell yourself something to prepare you for that second era, if you will, that you had at Bloomington, what would it be? Well, that's a great question. Um, there really was no way to do that because we had to completely rebuild the program when we got there. So we knew at some point we were going to have to do it again. Like when you, when you take that many new guys, and then what happened is Victor was able to leave after three years, and certainly we knew we weren't going to have Cody long. Uh, and he was only there the two well, the, the people like the Jordan Halls, Christian Watford, Derek Elsons, those people that did such a great job for us. Well, now they were leaving too. So I don't know if there's much I would have done differently. Uh, probably um, recruiting wise, a little bit differently uh, before those guys graduated. I, I would have put a little more thought maybe into some older guys. And again, that was pre portal and things like that so that, that that wasn't available then but I probably would have tried to bend just a little bit older before we got to that point because then we go into it and we and we ended up obviously turning it again but we played so many young guys after that and uh again thank god we had Will she thank god we had Yogi because it was able to bridge the gap but I'm proud of the fact that we were able to overcome losing all those guys that we did, get it built back up, and then still be able to compete in the Big Ten and then win that Big Ten championship again because we really, truly did have to start over. And, and again, it, it's everybody kind of you – know, we got the pass on those first couple of years, but then all of a sudden if you struggle, now those couple of years come back up again inside of your record. And that was always hard. But it was, a, it was an unbelievably unique – challenge and i'm not sure rebuild uh even does it justice but the fact that we knew we had to we did it and we were able to overcome it 
I am proud of that. Yeah, Tom Crean with us. Yeah, you you were in a spot to where it was the rage to be young, young, young. You know that uh, playing those Kentucky teams either even, you know, hey, you had to be young and now everyone wants to get old again. <laughs> in college basketball, they would have so much uh, experience. Working with ESPN, uh, what teams have you seen that you really like besides Purdue, maybe? Well, I look at it like it's so fleeting right now because conference play is going, so there's road and homes all the time. I look at it like who can win on a neutral floor, right? And like who who would I not want to have to see? Purdue is certainly one of those teams, but I would also go with Connecticut and I would go with Houston. I don't know if I have a fourth yet. It kind of fluctuates, but I'd say those three right now have been the most consistent to me that if you put them on a neutral floor just about just about anybody, you're going to really feel good about your chances that they could win. And they're the new number one team in the land. UConn this week with Purdue sliding back to two. Again, Tom Crean with us here, previewing IU-Purdue tonight. Coach Lynn with this, I, I don't know, maybe I'm assuming here, I would guess the watch shot would be your favorite memory from your time in Bloomington. If I took that off the board, or maybe it's something else, what would be number two on that list? That's another great question. I've never really thought about that. I, I don't know if I could I don't know if I could have it. You know what, you know what happens when you're done? Like I My son is on the staff with the Dallas Mavericks in his second year. So this past weekend, I was in Dallas after I left ESPN. So I got to see Cody Zeller. I think, you know, I hear from OG uh, constantly. I just talked to Thomas Bryant last week. Victor and I are constantly keeping in touch. I follow these guys and their families. I think when when you coach and you have those unbelievable moments in games, and, and certainly there are so many moments of how our crowd, I, the, the one moment that is crazy, but we played Illinois early on in, in that first year, and we made a comeback inside of that game on a Sunday afternoon inside of Assembly Hall. And the crowd was so unbelievable at trying to help us come back. And we came all the way back, but then we didn't win the game. And you know, we had changed defenses, and we were in it. And I was so emotionally spent at, at, at the end of that game not only on the comeback, but because of just how rabid and passionate and crazy the fans were to try to help us win. It's almost like you remember those moments and you remember going through it together as much as you remember wins. And then when you get out of it in the sense of not being with those guys anymore or not being at Indiana anymore, when you get with those players and you see what they're doing now or you have a conversation like the other night, it was basically my son, Cody, and myself in the arena. And when we left, Cody had to get on the bus. That's how long we, we'd sat there talking. And, and those are the memories that really, really stand out far more than any memory of that actual moment. Because when you go back and think about it, and again, every moment is not just what you see. Those moments matter because of how you feel. And, and I feel so good about so many things that we did there that there is no way we could have ever brought the program back, one, then been able to do it again if it wasn't for the fan base and students like you that stuck with us when we weren't winning and then were there for the, for the glory days of it. I, I'll never, ever be able to express enough thanks for that. Do you want to coach again? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. The right place. Uh, I enjoy what I do. Um, I'm learning a lot, but I, I definitely want to coach again. It, but it, but uh, it's not that end-all, be-all. I just want to coach the coach. I want to coach where it matters. I want to coach where things have changed so much, right? I mean, you've got – my last year with, at, at Georgia was the first year of name, image, and likeness. 
we had $4,200 that year and another $2,000 that came from Crystal. Now a program like George <laughs> is sitting somewhere at $2.5 million, you know, for NIL in basketball. Like, it's just so different now. So, like, can you, you just got to get where it matters, where uh, I've been spoiled because of the places I've been in the sense of the fan support. So I want to get somewhere where the fans, maybe they aren't winning, but they have won and they want to win again. And they're going to come and support you, and it matters to everybody there. That's what I want. Really, really interesting stuff right there from Tom Crean. Coach, hope the kids are well. Great seeing you, obviously, at the national title game. Love your insight on ESPN, and uh, would love to see you back on the sidelines. Appreciate this time. Uh, appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on back there. Thank you.